Let's listen carefully as the Spirit speaks through Mark. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You may be seated. Good morning. Still, still a little hot, huh? Yeah, bring it down a little bit. Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay, good morning. There, there we go. Now we're feeling comfortable. So, uh, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year is whenever we have our first and second service people all together at the same time in the middle, and you get to meet your pew buddy from the opposite service. So look to one side or the other and say hi to whoever's your new pew buddy today. Just look this way. Say hi. Okay, look this way. Say hi. Okay. Uh, yeah, few buddies, and here's the thing, most, most of you that meet somebody and maybe get displaced, but one thing I love is we've got like the Spanglers right here, they're always front pew and second service, right, nobody ever tries to take their pew, there's no pew buddy from first service, right, like they've just got this, it's theirs, and right over here, you guys, you got your pew, I love this, so welcome, 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 we're glad you're here. Uh, I want to say two thank yous before we get into today's sermon, and the first one's to the church, and the second one is to the Lord. Uh, thank you to the church. Uh, you have supported our family so well. And most of you already know the news, but Jenna and I were able to bring home our adopted son Thursday a week back. And he became um, we are overflowing with joy in, in every sense. And we're also kind of running under on sleep. So if I use some wrong words today, just forgive me. Say a little blessing from the pew as I work through it. Uh, and as you know, I spend most of my time, week in and week out, either with people from the church or reading scripture and preparing to teach. And so I spend a lot of time exegeting Hebrew and Greek and getting down into texts like the one that we're going to read today, uh, which is Mark 1, 16 to 20. So go ahead and turn on your Bibles if you haven't done that yet. We used to say open your Bibles. Now we say turn on your Bibles, right? And I've spent a lot of time in my weeks exegeting texts. Now God is teaching me a new skill which is to exegete baby. Uh, so you look at their face and you go, that lower lip is sticking out a lot farther, more prominently than top lip. I think this indicates that something is wrong, right? This could be three points, you know. <laughs> Point one, he could be hungry. Point two, he could be dirty. Point three, he's a baby, right? Just like he just does not And so we're learning how to read and interpret what is going on with this little tiny guy. Uh, and his name, by the way, is Ari Judah Everett Bundy. Ari Judah Everett Bundy. So A-R-I is his first name. Ari is what he goes by. And he is just precious. So the second thanks is to God uh, for bringing him to us and for bringing us together in a community and for the way that God answered specific prayers in this process. 
I'll say a lot more about this at future times. Today isn't the day, but God answered many of our prayers with no's over the last couple of years, and they were hard. And then when he said yes, he said yes in a dramatic way, in an emphatic way. And by answering four or five specific prayers to obstacles last week, with answers that were on the mark within five minutes of us crying out to him to make it possible for Ari to come home. So when God says no, and then when he says yes, he can be trusted in both. He is good at all times, even though we can't always see. So thanks to our God. Amen? Amen. So today we're in Mark chapter 1. If you would uh, allow me to pray for us, and then we'll begin to exegete this text this morning. So our Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us and being our God and for calling us to be followers of Jesus. Today we're looking at how Jesus called these followers in this text that Mark wrote down. And we're going we're gonna to see a lot of things here, Father, that you left for us. We pray that you would open our minds to understand our hearts to be touched and open our will and our hands to act so that we can have a complete response to this gospel teaching, this good news teaching about Jesus today. Father, you have been preparing us to hear this scripture. So now work powerfully in us and pour through me the gift of preaching so that this text will be effective and meaningful for your people. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and all of us together say, Amen. If you're following on the back of your bulletin today, I'm going to give this message in three brief points. The first one is the longest. The second two are pretty quick. And they all have to do with the followers that Jesus called. And the key word here is going to be that he called followers. And so the three points are this, if you want to write them down. They were called to follow. They were called to follow. And we will unpack that from the text. They were called to fish. Okay, and this is some figurative language, but they were called to fish. And we will unpack that from this text and a few other texts that go with it. And then finally, they were urgently called. In spite of and in their life situation, they were urgently called to respond to Jesus now. And so are you. And so am I urgently called by him in whatever place you are today. So we're going to work through these called to follow, called to fish, and urgently called. Let's start with how Jesus called them to follow. Here's five quick insights into how Jesus called these first disciples. The first one is he called them to follow him as a rabbi. Jesus called these disciples as a rabbi. Now at first, this doesn't seem to show up in today's reading. Jesus does not walk up to them and say, I am a rabbi recruiting followers. Would you like to be one of them? And so we have to read along with the text and with other people who have carefully read the text and listen along with others, listen with Mark to see this. It's strange for some modern Christians to hear that Jesus was a rabbi. We often are told or think about Jesus as if he had stepped outside the Jewish religion and as if he was opposed to the Jewish religion and he started something brand new. But this is not the case. Jesus was deeply embedded in Judaism. 
He was a Jew, and he in fact was a Jewish rabbi in their tradition of traveling itinerant teachers. We get this from many places in the Gospels, but it matters that we're listening along with authors like Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and John. For instance, uh, in the book of Mark, there will be two places, in one in chapter 9 and one in chapter 11, where the disciples look at Jesus and they call him rabbi, which means they saw him as being a rabbi. There is another story about Jesus. One moment, this event when he is with a woman in a crowd who touches him to be healed of her lifelong illness. And it says she touched the hem of his garment. And that's confused some people, as if why would she walk up and, you know, pick the hem of the garment? What was special about that? Well, the rabbis wore a special garment called a talit, which was a prayer shawl. They would often wear it over the shoulders and down over the arms. It had different knots and braids in it to represent certain prayer patterns. She comes up to Jesus and she touches the fringe or the hem. In the Jewish world, that would be obvious to anyone who knew he was a rabbi. She touched the prayer knots on his shawl. These are examples of how when we read along with other people who understand the Jewish world, we begin to see that what Jesus is doing is a deeply Jewish thing. And this is why this is important. It's important because Jesus, as we have said earlier in this sermon series, is religiously subversive. He is not exiting Judaism to start something altogether new. He is transforming Judaism from the inside out while being completely loyal to it. As it says in Matthew, he did not come to obliterate the law or remove it, but to fulfill it. And again, the word fulfill doesn't mean remove it, but to show it perfectly embodied in human form. What does Torah instruction look like when it's perfectly embodied? It looks like Jesus. And he does it from inside their own world. He is religiously subversive. And he is teaching them a new way to read the scriptures they already have. Which means this. When these followers were called by Jesus to follow him as a rabbi who instructed in Torah, they were being instructed in Jesus' school of how you should read the Bible, which parts to emphasize, which parts need less emphasis. We learn to read and listen to stories along with lots of different people throughout our lives. Some of us learn to listen to the news through one or another particular news channels. And they shape the way we hear all of the news. Some of us might have CNN. Some of us might have Fox. Some of us know which one is like holier than the other one. And we're not afraid to talk about it, right? And some of us have the most trustworthy one of all, Facebook, that never has fake news of any kind, right? And we're shaped by who we're listening with. Nothing would make this more clear to me right now than our own experience with this little infant baby at home this last week. Because most of the time when I read a text, I'm reading like this. You know, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Well, now I'm reading different texts along with a different person that go like this. 
when it snows, tiddly pong, when <laughs> Winnie Pooh, A. Milne. It's a different kind of listening that you do. And Jesus is teaching his disciples to listen to the Bible in a fresh new way as their rabbi. How else does Jesus call them to follow? Well, he calls them from two things. He calls them as a rabbi. He calls them from Galilee. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how important Galilee is, and I will not repeat all those comments. You'll have to go back and listen to it, but here's the summary. Galilee was backwater. It was rural. It was podunk. It was a place that wasn't respected. And when Jesus, here in this text, went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some good old blue-collar workers fishing for their living. They're not the poorest of the poor and the destitute. They're not the elite and the reigning people in social circles, and they're not politically powerful. Jesus is again here socially subversive. Rabbis do not pick fishermen to follow them. We don't know whether Jesus went through traditional rabbi training at any point in his life. Usually we think he did it. There's that one event when he's at the temple when he's 12 and he is answering scripture more clearly than anyone else there and they are impressed by him. And those were the kind of marks they looked for in young Jewish men to see whether they were worthy to follow a rabbi and learn the Torah. All young Jewish men would be instructed for a time in the Torah and, and be expected to memorize most of it. And how you performed in that would determine whether or not you were called into that ministry of following a rabbi. Peter and Andrew and James and John in this text most certainly went through that kind of training but didn't you know, cut up high enough on the grade marks to be chosen to follow a rabbi. And now Jesus does the most subversive thing. He goes into Galilee backwater place, he picks these blue collar workers and he says, I want you anyway to be my followers. And he shakes up the whole world of what's expected to follow a rabbi. So he calls them as a rabbi and he calls them from Galilee to listen to scripture with them. Here's the third thing, he calls them from their concerns as a rabbi from Galilee and from their concerns. And this shows up in two special ways in today's text. When Jesus is walking by the sea and he sees Simon and Andrew, listen to what he says. He says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And then it says in, in the text, at once they left their nets. Now maybe you've noticed this detail. But Simon and Andrew and James and John, who are called in the very next verses, leave different concerns behind. Simon and Andrew leave their nets. That was the important identifying marker that they dropped. They left. And it says in the text, for they were fishermen which means their identity and their concern, the things they were worried about at that moment of time in their life was the fishing industry and providing, and they leave the nets. When James and John are called, they're also called to leave their concerns, but it says something different about them in the text. This is where our exegetical work helps us to see what Jesus is doing. 
It says this, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their net. Now here he does not say, for they were fishermen. He says they were sons of Zebedee. What is the mark that defines James and John's identity at this point in their life the most? They are Zebedee's kids. And when they leave to follow Jesus, it says this about them. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father. You see how Jesus does this? James and John's greatest concern is the family and their father's needs. Peter and Andrew leave the nest. James and John leave the father in the boat with the hired men by them. They're called to leave their concerns to follow Jesus. And this is where it begins to become personal for you. What does Jesus know about you in your life situation right now that is a good thing that he's calling you to step out of just a little bit? Or maybe that he's calling you to step out of completely because you need to turn your focus back to the Jesus who will teach you how to listen to Scripture and you can't do it if you're listening to these other concerns. Peter and Andrew are listening to the fishing industry concerns. They're probably getting the daily fishing reports. They're counting the catch. Who brought in the most fish today? And how did we do? And what is our P&L, right? And James and John are concerned about the family. But Dad's getting older. And he needs us there. He's only got these hired guys. We're his only free labor. We're helping build up the retirement fund, right? All these things. And they're called to leave these things. What is Jesus calling you to step away from? What does he know about your concerns? Which one have you promoted above him? We know this is in their mind. Because later in Mark 10, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, We've left everything to follow him. That's in families. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, mother, father, children, or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come and with them persecutions, but also eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, like blue-collar fishermen, will be first. Jesus is calling them. But to get what he offers, they have to be willing to leave some concerns. Jesus is calling them to two things. He's calling them to be with him. Jesus is calling them as a rabbi from Galilee, from their concerns, to be with him. Jesus intends that these disciples will walk with him, will read scripture with him, will pray with him in the garden, and will learn to listen to God and to Torah with Him. There's nothing more important in the Christian life than starting by being with Jesus. This is the quiet and safe relationship with Jesus that we all long for. The one where He invites us out to a quiet place to pray and have our concerns heard. And to talk to us one-to-one -one about what these things mean and how it will change our life. But after he calls them to be with him, he also calls them to be sent out. He calls them as a rabbi. He calls them from Galilee and from their concerns to be with him, but also to be sent out. 
when he calls them to be with him, he asks them to leave behind the old net. So when he calls them to send them out, he gives them this figurative idea, the one that we're calling called the fish. He says, I will make you fishers of men. And I'm sure a lot of good sermons and a lot of good devotionals and a lot of good books have been written about being fishers of men. I want to say two things about it today. One is a reminder that this is figurative, prophetic language that Jesus is borrowing to make an impact. It's figurative, prophetic language. The idea of a person being a fisher or a hunter of other people shows up first in the prophet Jeremiah. All the way back in Jeremiah 16, when the people of God were wandering far from their purpose, God had said this through Jeremiah, I will send now many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch the people. And then I will send many hunters. They'll hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices and the rocks. This is prophetic figurative language for when people have left God's purpose and they're far away and God has to do some looking. And there's judgment involved. In the Jeremiah passage, God has to judge them of their sins. And sometimes we're uncomfortable hearing about judgment because we don't want to talk about a God who tells us no. We only want a God who hands out smiley face stickers. As uncomfortable as hunting and fishing can be for some people in the population, for many of us, it's a way of life. I had a moment one time when I was wearing my camouflage hunting pants and I walked into a local restaurant. It was a place where we often did Bible studies and we would sit down with the same people week in and week out and read the book of Mark. And I walked in that morning in my camouflage pants because I had just hung a tree stand for deer hunting. And I knew I was in trouble when I got up to leave the restaurant a few minutes later and a particular woman who had called me out several times before for things she was unhappy about called in a full voice across the restaurant, Hey, Josh! Are you wearing hunting pants? Have you been out there trying to kill Bambi? I thought, oh boy. Once previously, she had called me out across the restaurant like this. Hey, Josh, why won't the Lord give me vengeance against my daughter-in-law? I had thought, oh boy. So I walk over with my hunting pants on up to the table, and she gives me the riot out. I don't understand how you could be out in those woods chasing around innocent animals and hurting them. So I look down at the table which contained a plate that was mostly finished with potatoes and eggs and bacon. <laughs> and I simply said to her, friend, when I go out hunting, it's probably not like what you expect. The deer run around wherever they want for all of their life. They eat what they want. They sleep where they want. There's no cages. There's no pens. Nobody is force-feeding them antibiotics. And then one day, I'm in a tree above them, and in a moment, the lights go out. They don't know any better, and I'm very careful about that because I would never want to hurt an animal. How do you get your meat? She looked at her plate. She looked up at me, and she said, well, I've never thought about it quite that way before. It's not a point about me being right. 
or about one way of life being better than another. It's simply a reminder that until we remember to listen with others, we often don't know what we're talking about. And here, when God says he's going to send people out to be fishermen, he's going to send people out to be hunters. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a net let down into the lake that caught all kinds of fish, and when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they collected the good fish, but threw the bad ones out. This will be how it is at the end of the age. Jesus is talking about judgment, again, uncomfortable. And he says the angels will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw some into the fiery furnace. And Jesus said, have you understood all of these things? All this figurative language. And they said, yes. And he said to them, listen to this, therefore, every teacher of the law, you should hear the words rabbi, every rabbi, who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. It's like when people will bring out new fruit and old wine. They'll bring out new bread and old cheese. Jesus says, to really understand what I mean by being fishers of men, you've got to be reading this whole story. It's about the way I'm teaching you to reread what God's always been about. This isn't some brand new surprising thing. It certainly isn't about you going out on the street with like, you know, 10 rhetorical questions that you're going to hammer people into a corner or whatever and convince them that you found the one true way. Fishing for people and hunting for people has always been this figure in prophetic language that God knows people are in trouble. That judgment is coming. That they're hurting. They're broken. That life is hard. And God wants to give them good news, but He can't. If you don't pay unique attention to people the way a conservationist pays attention to the thing he is pursuing. Sure, there are poachers in the world who herd animals for fun, but most hunters care about the population of the animals. And most fishermen are the people who care most about the cleanliness of the waterway. They provide for and they care for the things that they're working with and ruling over. And Jesus is teaching them to read the Old Testament and the new, old and new things from the storehouse to say, when you see a person, do you see an opportunity? Do you see them the way God sees them? Are you really a conservationist of souls? Or are you just a consumer of church? He calls them to fish. And silently embedded in here is what, we, what I like to call GC squared. GC squared is great commandment, great commission. Boom, squared. When Jesus will later on teach things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. When Jesus will say, go therefore in all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. When he says these things, he is not just picturing formulas and formulaic conversion processes. He's picturing relationships. A person who knows how the fish eat and where they live and what time of day they like to bite. Somebody who cares about people. And that's how they show they care about God. Last point is this. They're urgently called. Because when Jesus is sending people out, fish for other souls. There's no time to wait. Two things about how they're urgently called. The sermon will be yours. We'll sing and we'll pray. And I hope some of you might come down here today to pray 
and to share what God is calling you from and what He's calling you to. Two things about how urgently they're called. In the text, it says about Simon and Andrew that at once they let down their nets. At once they drop the nets. And this has often been taught, there have been many sermons that mistake at once the urgency of the words at once for meaning. They've never met Jesus before. They've never heard about Jesus before. God's been silent to their people for 400 years. This is the first time they've heard God speak in centuries. And they immediately just have this upwelling of the Spirit that they ought to follow Jesus no matter what. And they throw everything and they blindly take a leap of faith and they go off into the sunset with Jesus. And that could not be further from the truth. When, it's, when it says that once they let down their nets, it is an indication of their readiness, but it's not an indication that this is brand new information for them. From the Gospel of John chapter 1, we happen to know that Andrew in particular had already been a disciple of John, the wild man in the wilderness. And that one day John saw Jesus walking past and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And two of his disciples peeled off and went to follow this new rabbi. And after they had spent some time with him, the text in John 1 tells us one of them was Andrew and he went to find his brother Simon and he told him we found the Messiah. This is before they've gone back to fish in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus comes up to them. They already known him. They've already seen him. They've already talked to him. And he comes up to them after they've had time to think about it. And he says, are you ready? And at once, they eagerly drop the nets. It shows their readiness. And I want to ask you about yours. Have you had some time to hear about who Jesus is? To think about who he is and to think about what he wants. And are you ready? Somebody's got to ask you once in a while, are you ready? So I'm asking you this morning, are you ready to make a decision about Jesus you've been putting on? You've had time, okay? He's coming. You may not feel like you're ready, but he's asking, will you follow me? I'll turn you into Fisher's Men. Here's the second and the last part. When he says to James and John, it says, without delay, he called them to. He is indicating they're unready. So Peter and Andrew are ready because they've met him. And they're waiting for an invitation. James and John are unready. They're in the boat with their father. Jesus, though, can accept them and call them even though they're unready. It says without delay, he called them. Why would he delay? He would delay because he could see they were busy. He would delay because he knew they hadn't passed the rabbi examination. He would delay because he would say, after you've taken some leveling courses, I'll circle back around to Galilee and we'll pick you up on the next run. He would delay because he would know that they might not have considered themselves worthy of the kingdom of God. There could be numerous reasons why they were not ready. And you and I do this too. We'll sit here week after week and we'll say, one day I will be ready to say yes to God. And he's asking... I'm ready for you now. Unprepared, unprocessed, blue collar, however you see yourself, broken and abandoned and abused and disturbed, he says, I have to urgently call you to shake you out of your unreadiness. So here's what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years now, first in person and now most recently through these events and stories. He's giving you time to consider who he is and then he's asking you, are you ready now? 
And he's looking at people who have said for so long, I will never be ready for this. I'll never be good enough. And he's saying, yes, you are. Come. Today, let's stand and let's sing this invitation song and come forward and pray if you're so inclined.